Alright, so like, like, I, like we've said uh, in all of these um, Wednesdays in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy is kind of a nuts and bolts type of letter. Paul is writing to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy, Paul is trying to set in order things in the church at Ephesus that are out of order. He's trying to correct uh, things that have gone astray in the church. And he's trying to encourage Timothy to be bold, to not let people look down on him because of his youth, but to be an example. And he's given them really pointed instructions about what the church should look like. Then we go to 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy is a real personal letter. It's very endearing. You know, at, at the beginning, um, Paul says to, to Timothy, he says, To Timothy, my beloved child. And so you hear Paul's heart for Timothy. He's speaking like he is his spiritual son. And so 2 Timothy is a real personal letter. And he's trying to, it's his last, uh, it's his last time to be able to encourage Timothy to persevere, to stand and to fight and to shepherd well, to pastor, to pastor well. And so that's kind of the feel of 2 Timothy. And so last week, Pastor Renee covered the section about being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so this, this section here, it's, uh, we're, we're going to cover verses 14 through 26. And it's, it's kind of has um, some real famous scriptures that we've all grown up hearing if you've grown up in church. And so what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to, uh, I'm going to introduce the subject and then we're going to read, read the text and then we're going to unpack it and see what God wants to, uh, to uh, say to us. So I think there's a central theme in this, this section of, of, in this section of scripture and it centers around being a useful worker. And so how many of you desire to be used by God? You want to be useful. You want God to use you in your life. And I would say that if you desire to be used by God, that means that you're a Christian. Right. If you're not a believer and you don't love the Lord, then there's nowhere in your heart. Is there a desire to want to be used by God? You you just think about yourself and you are worried about what concerns you. But when you become a Christian, something amazing happens. And it's designed by God that when you become a Christian, you start looking outward. You start seeing the world completely different. And God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who now lives on the inside of you, begins to change the way you see the world. And then and now you begin to be filled with compassion. You begin to see people through the lens of God's heart. And so all of us desire to be used by God. And now this specific section in 2 Timothy, Paul is trying to address some false, some issues with false teachers like he's done all through 1 Timothy and up to this point in, in 2 Timothy. And he's trying to help Timothy see what makes somebody not useful. And he points out two false teachers, and, and we'll, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, read that soon. He points out two of them, and he just kind of gives a contrast between a useful worker for God and somebody who's not useful. And so that, that's what we're going to look at. And, and I believe that we all want to be useful, and I think there's some real practical, some real practical characteristics that we're going to see here. So Paul, Paul is encouraging Timothy to, for him to be a use, useful worker, and, and, and I think it's an encouragement to all of us. That we would all be useful for God's kingdom. And, and, and he's also trying to help him to recognize those who are unfit or unqualified to take part in gospel work. But there's two, there's two verses here that I want to key in on. That I think are in, it's, it's in the middle of, of the text. But I think it's kind of the hub of the entire section here. So let's look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 20 through 21. It says, now in a great house, there are not only 
vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy or sanctified as holy, useful to the master. And that's the title of this message, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, this picture here is a stark contrast. If you understand what Paul is saying here, he's describing, he's using some word pictures. He's saying that there's a great house and that in this great house that there's different types of uh, instruments and things that are used to serve in the house. There's gold and silver vessels, and then there's vessels of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. And the picture of the gold and silver vessels are those that are set apart as holy and are sanctified. So that would be a picture of those that are saved. So the picture is God's house. It's a big house. This is a picture of the church. And in the body of Christ, there's those that are believers. And God has set them apart as holy, and he desires them to be used. But at the same time, Paul's trying to tell Timothy that that, that there will be people that are unfit, that are going to be within that house that are not qualified to serve because they're, they're, they're not even following Christ. And the way he describes them is really stark. This, this, this picture that he gives there about the wood and the clay and it being used for dishonorable use would be, it's the picture of the, the, the vessels and the containers that would be used to dispose of household waste. That's what, that's what he describes the people that are dishonorable but the ones that are honorable that are sanctified that are set apart they're like gold and silver and they're ready to be used and so it's a really it's a really strong picture really strong word picture here and so what we want to do is is we want to look at and i believe all around this word picture from verse 14 all the way through 26 paul lays out what it is to be a gold and silver useful vessel and you all desire to be that right you desire to be used by God. But this is what I would like to do. So there's four, char- four characteristics that we're going to look at that describe a useful worker that are in the text. And these are specifically for Timothy as a pastor. So there's a two, twofold meanings here. It's, it's for Timothy as a pastor. So he would be a useful vessel so he can recognize those in the church who are not qualified to be used. But I want us to see this, these characteristics of being a useful vessel through the lens of your life and how you are commissioned by God to reach people who don't know Jesus, your friends, your family, your loved ones. How many of you know people in your life that don't know Christ? There's family members in my life that I know don't know Christ. And so that's how I want you to see it. We're, we're, we're going to look at both sides and what it means to be a useful uh, pastor or leader. But I want you to see in your life, how can you be useful by God, how can you grow in these character, in these characteristics and these qualities that will help you be useful in what God's called you to do to preach the gospel? You know, Christianity is simple. It's really simple. It's, it's salvation is free. It's a free gift. Nothing you can do to earn it. It's unmerited favor. God died. You couldn't save yourself. He saved you. And then he commissioned you to tell other people about what he did for you. That's it. That's the basics. And so, the idea that a lot of people have, that's, that, that some people have, is that they just kind of come to church and they let, they let the pastors be the useful vessels. But they let the leaders of, or, the, or, or the ones that, 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 that are more charismatic and can, can communicate well, and they say, well, that's just their job. 
I'm just called just to come and worship and, and hear the word preached. But that, that's really not the picture of what Christianity is, is all about. If, if you have received the good news, your heart's been changed and you desire to be a useful vessel. And the primary way that God's called all of us as believers to be useful is to preach the gospel to those that don't know Jesus. And so that, that's what we're commissioned to do as pastors is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You, we gather so that you can be matured through the preaching of the word and you scatter to evangelize. That's what the church is for. And so I want you to see it through that lens. How can I be useful? How can you be useful? What characteristics need to be exemplified in your life and in my life? So let's, let's, let's look at these. So the first characteristic is this, that a useful worker is biblically faithful. A useful worker is biblically faithful. So let's, let's go to the start of the text here, and we'll start in verse 14. It says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. And we're going to come back to this text. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, useful. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So in this verse, verse 15, I see that a useful worker knows how to handle God's word. They are faithful. The first characteristic is that a useful worker is biblically faithful. So what does it mean to be biblically faithful? If you're, if, if this is the, if the lens we're looking through is how are you going to reach your friends and your family and your coworkers that don't know Jesus through that lens, how are you going to be biblically faithful in, in trying to witness for Christ? I think there's, there's two pictures here. It's in the, the first picture of being biblically faithful is the first phrase in verse 15. It says, do your best, do your best. And so that phrase, do your best, has the picture of effort, has the picture of energy, has the picture of hard work. And, and earlier in Timothy, it, it says that, that in First Timothy, it talked about how the, the pastor who labors and does hard work in preaching and teaching is deserving of double honor. It's that same type of picture that if we're going to if, if you and I are going to be a useful vessel, it's going to take us to work hard at Loving God's word, reading God's word, staying connected to God's word. Do your best at pursuing God's word. Because there's going to be times whenever you're with your friends and family that, that don't know Christ, your coworkers, and, and the Lord is going to challenge you and, and motivate you to witness. And there's going to be times where you feel like, well, I just don't know what to say. I, I don't have the right scriptures that are there. And, and I just want to challenge you that that's one stage of your Christian life that, that, you, that you maybe have been in or, you, or you're in now. But that's not, where you, that, that's not where you need to stay. God calls us to do our best, to pursue biblical knowledge, to be faithful in pursuing the truth of God's word, to not put the word of God on the back burner in our life. To not think, like as I said earlier, that I'm just going to come on Sundays and I'm going to let Pastor Nate preach to me. And he's going to feed me God's word. You know, I was reading this book uh, that my wife has. And it's about pastor's wives. And so I was reading it to see what she's reading. And I would, just this morning I was reading it. And I, I turned some, was kind of skimming through. And there was a chapter where the, the pastor's wife talked about how it was important for a pastor's wife to self-feed. So that phrase, self-feeding, jumped out at me as I was thinking about this message in this first point. 
And that's what we all have to learn to do. You can't get by on Sunday morning messages. You need to be able to self-feed, to be biblically faithful, to be faithful, to go to the word of God. And this is, this is what happens as you do that. And we're not talking about reading three or four chapters a day and, 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 and trying to overload yourself with things you don't even understand. It's about being consistent in every day. If it's one scripture that you read, that God speaks to your heart and you internalize it and you apply it in your life. Then that means when you're standing around those that God has called you to witness to and evangelize, God's going to pull that, God's going to pull that, that word that you've deposited in your heart and you're going to be able to speak with boldness because you've been self-feeding. You've been taking the time to be diligent, to pursue God's truth, to pursue God's word. And so we have to do our best. This phrase, do our best, gives us a picture of maximum effort as concerning the study of God's word. A worker cannot be effective with nominal effort when it comes to knowing and understanding God's word. A useful worker has a passionate desire in their heart to know God's word. And it's amazing what happens when you know God's word, then you desire to proclaim it. You desire to speak the truth of God's word. And so the second element of what it means to be biblically faithful that helps you to be a a useful worker is, let's go back to verse 15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And it's the phrase there, rightly handling the word of truth. And so that that phrase, rightly handle, rightly handling God's word, that's another aspect of being biblically faithful. When you love God's word, you care about whether or not it is represented accurately. You care about that. You know, there's so many times I'll maybe be flipping to the TV or I'll read an article or I'll see a YouTube video or something of somebody preaching and it's just not right. It's just not true. It's taken out of context. It's, it's, it's used for somebody's own personal gain and it just bothers me, just irritates me. And that's because I have spent years of feeding myself God's word, spent years of hearing God's word taught. And as you do that, you begin to love God's word as it's faithfully taught. And when somebody unfaithfully preaches it, It bothers you. And so a useful worker loves God's word and takes the care and the necessary time to make sure that they're understanding it accurately and they're proclaiming it accurately. When you hear false teaching that misrepresents God's word and the gospel, it it should bother you. And so that phrase, when it says rightly handle, the original Greek word uh, for that would be the word um, ortho orthotomio and it's what we get from the 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 english word orthodontics so when you go to a a a, a orthodontist what do you go to get done you got crooked teeth right so you got to get your teeth straightened so the picture here that paul is telling timothy first of all to to a pastor so as a pastor it's my responsibility to cut it straight to rightly handle, to preach it straight, to preach it true, to not mishandle God's word. And then it's your responsibility as those that are called to be useful vessels as well is to love that. You know that if you, if you ever get into a church service or you, you're ever involved in a church where it's not cut straight and the word of God is mishandled, don't stay there. Just go, go find a place where you can be fed God's word that's cut straight. That's handled accurately. It's not used for the preacher's own selfish end. And so a useful worker loves God's word enough 
to spend time reading and understanding its meaning. And then here's another picture there. And then to cut a straight path for themselves and others to walk on. That's what happens whenever a pastor cuts it straight. When he rightly handles God's word, all of a sudden in your mind, you start seeing the straight path that you need to walk in. You start, you start seeing this, this applies to my life and this is what it means. God's word, I, I see what it says. Now because the pastor has been faithful to cut it straight, I understand how I should live. And so that's, that's what begins to happen in your life. When you love God's word, you read God's word, you understand God's word, it cuts a straight path for you. And then in this desire that you have to be useful, then you can help cut a straight path for other people. You can, you can start telling them, you know, this is what God's word says. I see you're struggling in this area. Well, I, because I've been in studying God's word, knowing God's word, learning God's word, here's what God's word says about this issue in your life. And you help cut a straight path for them in their life. Psalms 119, 105. It's exactly what it says about God's word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Isn't that so beautiful? That's what God's word is. It, it points for us the direction that, that we should walk. It makes it clear. It makes it plain. You know, some, some people feel like, you know, God tries to be confusing and to hide his truth and make it difficult to know his will. It's really not true. God has given us his word divinely inspired so that we can clearly know what his will is. He, he makes it plain. I think when people struggle in that area, it's because they don't like what God's made plain. <laughs> it kind of, it, 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 it cuts a straight path for them, but then it cuts their heart too. And it's painful. But God, God makes it plain. And, and it's so beautiful what happens is that you know, you know, this is the path, walk in it. This is what God's called me to do. And so, the first characteristic of a useful vessel is that they are biblically faithful. They're faithful to self-feed. They're faithful to love God's word, to pursue God's truth. And they're, and they're faithful in wanting to understand it accurately and proclaiming it accurately. Secondly, a useful worker is not quarrelsome or argumentative. Okay, so let's, let's look back to the lens here. Talking about people that don't know Jesus. Some of you, it's your family members. You've been preaching to them. Isn't it easy to want to argue with them? Like you pound them on the head with the Bible. Don't you understand? Why don't you get this? Right? Isn't, that's typically what we try to do with people that we're close to. You know? But a useful worker cannot be quarrelsome or argumentative because it really doesn't work. And now the context of 2 Timothy 2, this section, is that these false teachers, they're wrangling about words. And they're, and they're fighting over non-essentials. And so Paul, in, in Timothy's context, is telling him, don't waste your time with false teachers. Don't waste your time trying to argue over non-essentials, things that don't really matter. Stick to the gospel, right? Stick to preaching the, 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 the once revealed truth of God's word about the gospel and how people can be saved. Don't wrangle about words. It profits nothing. Keep it simple. Preach the truth. And I think the same is true for us. Let's, let's, see, let's see where Paul says this. There's three verses in, in, in this section. And Pastor Renee brought out verse 14 last week, but it kind of all goes together. So verse 14, he says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Verse 16, he, it's like he comes back at it here. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and in verse 23 it says have nothing to do 
with foolish or ignorant controversies because you know that they be that they breed quarrels. So a a useful worker does not is not quarrelsome or argumentative. They're not looking for a fight to try to convince people to get saved and to know Jesus. So Paul is encouraging Timothy not waste his time arguing with false teachers. A useful worker does not waste his time arguing over non-essentials. So I got a question for you. We can dialogue about this. Why do you think it is that some people can be hostile toward the gospel message? Why do you think it is that some people can be hostile toward the gospel message? So again, we're looking through the lens of you guys and all of us trying to reach people that, that don't know Jesus. Why is it that sometimes they just don't like it? They want to do what they want to do. That's exactly right. Right, exactly. So that's the, the book of James says that God's word is a mirror. So when God's word is preached, it's a mirror and they're confronted with who they are and they want to stay like, like they are. They don't want to change. So that's pride, rebellion. Anything else? Guilt, ignorance. Right, exactly. It's true. Religion. Yeah, yeah. So they have a form of godliness and things that they've been taught as a child. And so when they hear something that comes up against that, right, that's difficult. Think about that. When you've been raised a certain way in a certain type of church that that doesn't really preach the gospel, when somebody, when you hear something that's, wait a minute, so you're telling me that what I grew up hearing is not true? And that's hard. That's hard to come up against. So so people will initially maybe reject that. Yes. Tradition, right. Yes, very similar. And, 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 and I th- yes, Pastor Renee. Servants of Satan. So, wow, yeah, that, that's pretty. That's, that, that's what the Bible says. It says that, that before you're a Christian, you are enemies of the cross. And actually, I think it's in Corinthians, it says that, it says that the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to those that are perishing. And so this is why with your lost loved ones and friends and family members, when you go to rightly handle God's word and to preach it, it doesn't pay to argue with them when they disagree with you because you're not going to convince them. If they, if, if they are completely opposed to that message, your only responsibility is to preach it and to proclaim it. Just tell them what the truth is, but try to wrangle with them and fight with them and try to, and try to make them get saved. I mean, that, that, that's, that's, not, that's not our calling. Whose responsibility is it to save people? It's the Holy Spirit's job. It's the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility is to proclaim it and then to pray. We proclaim and then we pray. We preach it and then we say, Holy Spirit, you do what only you can do. I've done what I can do. I've proclaimed the message. Now it's, it's up to you. If, if they're, if they're, if they're going to be saved, it's going to be because you're going to take the word that I've proclaimed and you're going to work it in their heart. This is what Scripture says. John chapter 16. This is Jesus is about to ascend to the Father. He's about to go to heaven and listen to what Jesus says. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It, it is to your advantage that I go away. And the, the disciples are thinking, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Our advantage, you just rose from the dead and you're telling us that it's for our advantage. But if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, what is the job of the Holy Spirit? To convict the world concerning sin righteousness and judgment. So that, th- those three words, sin, righteousness, and judgment. The world, your family members, your friends, your coworkers that don't know Jesus, they need to know that they're sinners. 
and they need to see the righteous standard of God. And they need to know that if they do not meet that righteous standard, that judgment is coming. Right? So you're, you're trying to articulate that to them. But what, but who, who is it that's going to seal the deal? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And so I just want to encourage you in your relationship with people that don't know Christ. Just be faithful. Handle God's word accurately. And just preach it, proclaim it, and leave it up to the Holy Spirit. We, we speak the truth in love, and then we pray. We speak the truth in love, and then we pray. Ephesians 4.29 says this. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So when we're dealing with people that are argumentative, let's not let any corrupting talk come out of our mouth. Let's just say, you know what? I hear you. I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going to argue with you because you firmly believe what you do. I'm just going to I'm going to tell you what's on my heart, but we're just not going to argue about that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion so that grace may come. And so I just want to encourage you that, that we don't need to be quarrelsome. Let's not waste our time arguing about non-essentials. And then thirdly, what's the third characteristic? And it kind of it goes hand in hand with what we just saw here. So if the useful worker should not be argumentative or quarrelsome, then the third characteristic, let's look at verse... Uh, verses 24 through 26. Let's see how a useful verse, a useful servant worker should should respond. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. So what we just said, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Isn't, I just love, just leave that up there, Chuck. I just love that phrase, uh, how it describes what happens when, when people are lost and don't know Christ. It says that they, they've been captured by Satan to do his will. Don't you see that in so many people's lives? I mean, they're just, their life is so messed up. Their life is so messed up by sin. And it's like they're just captured. They're in chains. They're in bondage. And they've been captured. And, and they don't even realize that they're doing the devil's will. Some of them do. A lot of people don't. They're just enslaved to their sinful nature. Enslaved to sins and passions. They're in bondage and they need to be set free. And this is why we need to be kind. So my, my third, the third characteristic is that a useful worker is kind and patient and gentle. This is why we come with compassion. This is why we're kind and we're gentle. We don't quarrel. We don't argue. You know, I've seen some so, so-called church people that will go out and they'll picket funerals. Or they'll go out and they'll, they'll, they'll picket and be angry at, 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 out front of abortion clinics. And they'll tell people that they're going to hell for what they're doing. And, you know, the reality is that if somebody dies in their sin, they're going to go to hell, right? That's the truth. But it doesn't mean that you have to be quarrelsome and argumentative in the way that you proclaim that. I remember one time, Estelle and I, she was three months pregnant, and we went to, at, to Atlanta. Uh, I, I'm an, an Atlanta Braves fan, and I've always wanted to go to an Atlanta Braves game in Atlanta. And so I took my pregnant wife, and we drove to Atlanta, and we went to a Braves game. And I was just so excited. I mean, this is my first time going to their game in their stadium. So we're walking up. These people out front, they're holding these signs. 
It says, repent. And I can, I can still hear the, the guy yelling. And he says, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Repent. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And I thought for a second as I was walking up, I was like, oh, is that me? <laughs> is that really? Am I really loving pleasure more than I love God? Is, and so for a second there, I started questioning my motives about going to a baseball game. And then I was like, no, that's not true. And then I got mad at him and I wanted to go talk to him and still grabbed my hand and squeezed my hand real tight. Says, just keep walking. <laughs> you know, just, don't, don't quarrel. Don't be argumentative. A useful worker doesn't do that, right? It doesn't pay. I, this is just off, not off subject, but a different thing. I wasn't planning on saying this, but I was watching this YouTube video of these guys arguing with a, with, with a heretic, with a, with a cult leader on the street. And after about three minutes of listening, like my head, hurt i was like you guys are wasting your time this guy is not going to listen to you and you think you're going to be fruitful and they're just saying so many words trying to prove why they're right and he's wrong i was like oh please i I had to stop it It was was bothering me it's irritating it was grating at me so how are we to be when people disagree with us we just we're kind we're gentle and we're patient and why is that Let's go back to those verses in 24 through 26. It says that when we do that, when we are kind, patient, and gentle, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So I just want to tell you this. You can preach the truth, and if you don't preach it in love, you can hinder the truth from piercing their heart. And actually, you can preach your truth and be a hindrance to them coming to faith by how you do it. So how should we preach the truth? Always with kindness, patience, and gentleness. So in your context, through this lens that we've been talking about, when you're with that loved one, that friend, just love them into the kingdom. Preach the truth. Don't water it down. Rightly handle it. Cut it straight. Show them the straight path to walk down on. But do it with kindness and gentleness. And, and, you know, Jesus was our greatest example of this. You know, Jesus demonstrated humility and compassion in the face of continual opposition. You know, he did miracles upon miracles to prove that he was God in the flesh. And he had the religious leaders that were all trying to kill him constantly because they felt threatened by his authority and his power. But he constantly was humble, was filled with compassion. I just want to read a couple of examples of, of Jesus and his humility and his compassion. Philippians 2, 3 through 7 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You know what? I just, this thought came to my mind as, as I read that. You know what happens sometimes? Sometimes when we're trying to reach people for Jesus, we have an idea of what we want to do. We're coming in there and we're going to preach this message. That's what we want to do. It's our interest. You know, sometimes before you do that, you need to care about their interest. You know, build a relationship with them. What do you care about? And if that means you got to talk about basketball, about golf, about gardening, about whatever, you just, you just love them. You care about them. You, 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 you show interest in what they are interested in and allow God to develop a relationship so where you can sh- show them and tell them what you're interested in, which is their salvation. So let each of you not, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind. Think like this among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. 
So there's two words that stand out there in Philippians 2. Humility and servant. And so that, that, that's how we approach being a useful vessel, a useful worker. As we, we walk in humility and we seek to serve those that we're trying to witness to and to minister to. And then in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, here's another picture. This is a picture of Jesus' compassion. It's one of my favorite sections of scripture in the gospel. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, tens of thousands of people that would follow him, he was filled. Some translations say, some, some other sections in the gospel say he was filled with compassion for them. And why was he filled with compassion? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And so we, our desire should be as Christians. Lord, we want to be useful workers for the harvest of the kingdom. We want to be useful workers for gospel proclamation. And if we're going to do that, the two greatest internal motivations that we need to have are humility and compassion. When we preach the gospel, we must be clothed with humility and filled with compassion. I mean, just think about the hurting people out there. People are broken and they're hurting and they're struggling. You know, I heard the news today of that football player, Aaron Hernandez, who heard that story. You know, he had been convicted of murder in 2012, 2013. And then just recently, earlier this week or last week, he was uh, acquitted of charges of double murder. And he was, he was just acquitted, but he was given a life sentence for the other charge. And so they, they, they found him dead in his, in his prison cell this morning at 3 in the morning, 4, 4 in the morning. And, you know, he was guilty. He was a bad man. He's a great football talent. Had, you know, had the, the world at his fingertips, was, had millions of dollars. But he just, he had a bad heart, like we all have before Christ. He made terrible decisions that I guarantee you he wished he would have never made. And I just thought when I, when I read that, I thought, how tragic and how sad. And, and I thought about the effects of sin. This is the effect of the curse of sin. This is the effect of sin and what sin does and where sin can lead you. And I thought about that Facebook guy. You guys all heard that. That's, that's just that terrible story. So tragic, so terrible. And, and, and this is why when we see things like that, when we see people in our lives, our friends, our family members and our loved ones, this is why when we see the effects of sin that produce brokenness in people's lives, this is why we need to be clothed with humility and not think that we're better than them because we're not suffering like they are. Because we're not better than anybody. We're just, by God's grace, we are who we are. And then secondly, we have to be like Jesus. And I just see Jesus when he looks up at the cloud at those crowd, the crowds of people, the tens of thousands of people. What I see is, is that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. So Jesus is God. When he sees this crowd, he sees 10,000 needs, 10,000 problems. He sees every situation that every single person is going through at one moment. And it's no wonder that he's filled with compassion. So if we're going to be useful vessels to proclaim the gospel, to be laborers in this harvest we have to be filled with compassion people are hurting and they're broken because of the effects of sin and the primary internal motivations of the useful worker are humility 
and compassion. And then lastly, the last characteristic. Let's read 2 Timothy 2.22. To so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So it's kind of a funny sounding characteristic that I think we should all have. But my fourth point is this, is that a useful worker should be a runner. Got to be a runner. And this is, this is kind of the foundation of it all, I think. Because if you're not pursuing righteousness and fleeing youthful lust, then you're like the worker in verse 20 and 21. You're not useful. God can't use you. Pastor Renee, as you were talking about somebody dealing with ongoing sin in, in their life. You know, you can be a believer and struggle with sin because we all do, right? It doesn't mean that you're not a believer, but it means that your usefulness is hindered. That, 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 that when you go to preach something to somebody, that loved one, that friend, that coworker that, that doesn't know Jesus, the, the accuser begins to talk to you and say, wait a minute, you can't do that because you have this issue in your life and you're struggling here, you're struggling there. And the great commission that you've been called to do in your life, that desire that you have to be useful by God, to be useful for God, is hindered because you're walking in areas you should not walk in. So we're called to be runners. So what, what does that mean to be a runner? A useful wor- worker is a runner. So let's look at, at the text in 22. It says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. And so that word flee is from the word, Chuck's going to put up there, it's from the word Fuego, or however you pronounce it, I don't know if the P is silent, but it's that word, which is also where we get the English word fugitive. Let's think about that for a second. What's Paul telling Timothy? He's saying, he's saying, so based upon everything that we've been talking about, about being useful, a useful servant, useful worker, run like you're guilty and you're trying to get away. You're a fugitive. You're running from the law. How does a fugitive run from the law? With everything that he has. With, he, he, he lays everything on the side and he says, I'm getting away. And he runs with all of his might. So that's the picture of how we're to flee youthful lust. So, so we, we, we say, look, there's nothing that's going to get in my way. I am running away from everything that can hinder. Every sin that easily besets me, I'm, I'm stripping those away so I can run this race with endurance. Like we're a fugitive from the law. We're, we're running with all of our hearts. So flee Youthful lust. Now, this idea of youthful lust, some people may think, well, so that means only the youthful people struggle with lust. What it's saying there is, is, is that there are lusts that are birthed in your heart when you're a youth, and we all know that they never leave. The, the capacity for those never really leave. You can, be, you can be 80, 90 years old and still struggle with lust in your heart, just like you did when you were 20 or 21. That youthful lust. And so, how do we do that? We, we have to be a, a runner. So, a useful worker is a runner. They're constantly running away from what the enemy wants to do to try to stop them. And as a result of running away, what are they doing? If you're running away, you're going in a forward direction, right? So, you're doing what the next section of verse 22 says. You're fleeing youthful lust, and at the same time, you're fleeing is a pursuit of something. Let's go back to, to 22, Chuck. So you're, you're fleeing like a fugitive, trying to get away from the enemy wants to do to stop you, hinder you, keep you bound and stop you from being useful. And when you're doing that, you're actually doing something else. You're pursuing righteousness. You're pursuing faith 
and love and peace. And you're pursuing a pure heart. And so a useful man, a useful worker, a useful leader, a useful pastor is a runner. Always running from something and pursuing something at the same time. The useful worker flees like a fugitive. An approved worker, a useful worker is known for what they run from and what they run to. You can put that on your fridge. A a useful worker, an approved worker is known for what they run from and what they run to. We, We run with all of our heart away from what the enemy wants to use to stop us, to trip us up in sinful ways. And we run with all of our heart and pursue righteousness and run after God. If we're going to be useful in God's kingdom for gospel purposes, we're going to have to actively run away from sinful, impure things. And at the same time, run towards godliness. So I've got a question. How, how do we run? So if we're called to be runners, how do, how do we run? I think I have three little sub points here about how we run. We run physically. Genesis 39, 11 and 2. This is Joseph. But one day when he met, when he went into the house to do his work and none of them and none of them in the house was there in the house. Potiphar's Potiphar's wife uh, came and tried to get with Joseph. She'd been after him day after day, day after day. Be with me, lie with me. And she's persistent. And she caught him by his garment and she said, lie with me. But what did he do? Sometimes you got to run physically. So a useful worker, sometimes we run physically. It means that if you're in a place or a situation, if you're, if you're at a movie, you're watching something and you didn't know this content was going to be in there, get up and leave. Run. Flee. Flee, flee that. Get out. If, if you're flipping through the TV channel, run physically. Get, do a physical action to get out of that situation. And as a result of doing that, what you're doing is you're pursuing righteousness at the same time. So physically, there's times where you have to actually get up and move. Make a move. Nobody's going to do it for you. You have to make a move to run away from what is evil and run towards what is right. Secondly, we, we, we run mentally. Philippians 4.8 says this. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, what do we have to do? Think on these things. That's how we that's how we run. That's how we become a useful worker. We we run from things in our thought life that are not right. Whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of is praiseworthy and commendable, think on these things. And then the, the third area, third way in which we run is that we run biblically. We run biblically. We run by going to God's word. Psalms one nineteen. Uh, it says in verse. Uh, 9 and 11, it says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. And then verse 11, your word have I hid in my heart. When you hide God's word in your heart, you're running from sin so that I'm, I may not sin against God. Amen. So those are the four characteristics. What's the first one? First characteristics of a useful worker. Biblically faithful. Secondly, a useful worker is not quarrelsome or argumentative. And thirdly, we, we're patient, we're kind, and we're gentle. And then lastly, we're runners. You didn't realize you're going to be encouraged to be a runner, to, to take part in track, spiritual track. Take, you know, we're, we're, we're meeting with the men on Saturday mornings and we're talking about spiritual disciplines. You know, this idea about spiritual growth, 
This is what we're talking about, really. It's about spiritual growth, becoming more and more like Christ. You know, it's this process. Sometimes people can think, God's going to zap you. You get saved, and he's going to zap you all of a sudden, and then you're not going to struggle with any temptation or sin. So this idea is that, that some people can have that spiritual growth is a passive thing on your part. But Timothy, First Timothy 4, 7, it's, Paul tells Timothy, train yourself for godliness. It takes an active pursuit on our part. And that's what it means to be a runner. And when you do that, God's going to use you. So I just want to encourage you. And as, as we started out through this lens of the people in your life that don't know Jesus, I just want to encourage you. God wants to use you. And I know that God is using you. God is using you in, in ways that maybe you don't even realize it. You know, when Elijah was running, being a running man, running for the wrong reasons from Jezebel, he'd just seen God's mighty hand in destroying the prophets of Baal. He goes and he runs in fear from Jezebel. He runs and hides in the cave. And then God goes to speak to him. You have the, the fire and the earthquake. And whoop, I forget the third one. <laughs> fire, earthquake, and, and the wind. And God wasn't, his voice wasn't in the wind. But where was God's voice? The still, small whisper. That's where God was. So I just want to challenge you with that thought. You may be looking for the big, mighty, strong wind and fire and earthquake of movement in your evangelism of those that don't know Jesus. But sometimes God's moving in the little ways that you don't even really realize or see. So just be faithful. Rightly handle God's word. Cut it straight. Be compassionate. Be kind, be patient, be gentle, and pray. And trust that the Holy Spirit will do the impossible. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for your word. God, your, your word is so rich. It's so good. God, because it, it's, it's, it's who you are. It comes from you. It's, it's divinely inspired. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we are reproved and corrected and that we, we grow in righteousness when we hear your word taught. Lord, I pray that in each and every person's life here tonight, pray that you would help them in the areas of their life that they're struggling and specifically in the, in the area of, of being useful for your kingdom. I pray that you would help us all to have these characteristics, that we would be gentle and kind, compassionate, that we, we would love your word. And Lord, and that, that, we would, God, that, that we would run away from things that the enemy wants to hinder us with. So let that be the desire of our hearts. Change us, Lord. We surrender to you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed.